We're operating in a worldview and a theology. We're like, no, no, no. Your relationship with your matters. Your relationship with your soul matters. There's this place as an artist where everyone else is running for cover from the rain. You want to climb the church steeple and you want to get struck by lightning. At the end of the day, you don't get a medal for being in pain and not taking anything. All you do is hurt everyone around you. John kind of thinks for a moment and he goes, This is the thing that I would want every young man to know. All right, Sam, got a little question for you. Shoot. What do a girl's best friend, diamonds, the root of all evil, okay, and the thing that time is all have in common? Money. Exactly. This week's podcast is about money. Which you probably uh, gathered from the title, but nonetheless. So this week, we want to sit down with a couple guys on our team. Bart Hansen and John Dale, who are in very different seasons and have had very different journeys with money and owning businesses, losses, success, all that kind of stuff. We wanted to know what it is in a person that's able to handle a lot of money and steward a large company and also have periods of no cash available at all. And we knew that both of those guys have at various times been in those situations. Some awesome stuff in this conversation from some older men who have walked a long time with God and running a business. And personally, some of my favorite stuff is advice that they might give to the 20-year-old now. Bart, John, thanks for being on the Ensons podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. It's what a privilege. So good to be here. It's a lot of fun to have you guys on. Um, Probably most of our, our listeners know who you guys are, but just to for those who don't, Bart and John are both friends and senior members of the the Ransom Heart and kind of Ann Sons team here. And we wanted to have a conversation with the four of us today to, to dive into ways that uh, Blaine and I are finding our way through and, and wishing that we had some advice and, and probably a lot of you guys do too. And that's the world of money. Yeah. So we know that both you, Bart, and you, JD, have owned businesses, have sold businesses, uh, have been put in the position to steward lots of money and have had very little. And so we just love to have a conversation around uh, work and money and lessons that you've learned, things that you wish you could tell your 20-year-old self. So I think where I'd love to start is, uh, starting with you, Bart, and then you, JD, when was your first job and or when did you start your first business? Gosh, first job was uh, 11 years old. And um, I worked at a convenience food store. And I guess I've always had a job. And work was kind of a thing that was ingrained into me. I mean, there's there's a good side of that. And, and there's a side that's, that, that's broken. And most all of this story preceding my conversion at age 28 really had a, a a deep desire to have a lot of money. It was a, a, a passion, and I worked very, very hard to do that. And, and, it, and it drove me in a lot of ways. And a lot of it was tied to validation for my father. I mean, I had so many jobs, um, worked at a tire store, worked at a golf driving range. I was a carpenter. I worked on demolition crews. I worked for the telephone company. 
I worked uh, as a bricklayer. I worked as, I mean, just jobs all the way through my whole existence of, of becoming a man, then after becoming a man, and a lot of that was broken when I graduated from college. You know, I, uh, I really had that desire. There was something that drove me that said, I, I really want to be a millionaire. Uh, that was a very broken side of me. I'm curious to hear you have to say, JD. And first job, I think, was picking up rocks. I was maybe like outside the home because, you know, I had chores a big market at home. It, it turns out when you live in Texas and people have horses and livestock, they don't like having rocks in their fields. And so a neighbor hired me to pick up rocks. And then another neighbor heard that I was the guy to go to if you needed someone to pick up rocks. <laughs> I never want anyone to tell anybody else that that's the guy. I'm and for. then I then I started washing cars because that was easier to do than pick up rocks. But I think like my first sort of real job was actually a business that I was involved in. I was probably 15 years old, so this would have been the early 90s. And um, back then, you paid for long distance phone calls. You remember that? You, uh, you don't remember. Everything's unlimited now. You are not how old I was when you were 15. Yeah, no, you weren't, were you? I was a young romance between John and Stacey oh, Eldridge. Oh, nice. Um, so back then, like everybody had AT&T and then the government came in and broke up this monopoly. And so all of a sudden, there was like MCI and Sprint and these other companies that came and competed for long distance business. And I got hooked up with this thing where I could go and sign people up to switch to MCI for long distance. And it was free for them, but I made like 50 bucks every time someone signed up. And so I learned just enough Spanish to knock on someone's door, like in an apartment complex and speak to them in Spanish and ask them if they called Mexico. And if they did, I kind of told them that they could save money by telling me their phone number and signing on the dotted line. And we signed up hundreds of people around Central Texas on MCI Long Distance. Um, and then I ended up like creating teams of people that went out and signed people up on Long Distance. Now, and I was 15 at the time. Hola, como te llamas? Yeah, that's more than I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so sketchy these days. Somebody oh, showing up on your so door, sketchy. not speaking your language. Right. Sign here. Right. So I was like a door-to-door -door sales guy for telephone service when I was 15. Man, did you guys uh, feel like a shift happening in your 20s? Because you're obviously, we're, we're taking a pretty intense sample because you both are starting up your own companies pretty shortly thereafter. I, mean, I think you had a reputation in high school already for being kind of an entrepreneur. I did. My senior year of high school, I managed to work out like half days, a half day schedule so I could work on my business. Um, and a very similar story in, in some respects to Bart that at the end of the day, it wasn't so much about the money as it was about uh, just the, the validation of being successful. And, you know, I grew up in a home where my, my parents are both medical doctors, which you would think of as being like an affluent family. Um, but they were medical doctors in the UK and they weren't licensed to practice medicine in the United States. And so when we came over to the States, we were actually like broke. So I like I have vivid memories of like driving home from school, my parents would pick me up, take me home, and they somehow like got scholarships or something for us to go to a private school. And I would ask my parents if we could stop at 7-Eleven so I could get a super big gulp, which was 69 cents. And I remember my mom like in tears saying, no, we can't afford it. And so there was something mm -hmm. of like a vow at a very young age of I will never be 
I will never be in that situation. So, so there I am at 15 out working all these crazy hours to make money. What I'm really trying to do is earn the validation of my dad. And the, the irony of it is, like Bart, the truth is my dad wasn't, didn't need me to be successful to, to get his validation. But I spent the, probably from 15 to 30 years old trying to build businesses and trying to make money so that I could prove to my dad I could be successful. So is it, is it cultural then? Like if it's not your family, if it's not like overt wounding or brokenness, like playing nice, you're a father who also doesn't have this uh, sort of you must be successful waved over your head, but like I feel this pressure. I feel this pressure, particularly in this decade, particularly with a young family to like, I, I'm like looking up side hustles. I'm looking up ways that, uh, is that just that that happens during this time? Or is that cultural? Is that actually good? Like there's part of, we, we make jokes around the outpost of like not fixing certain brokennesses that are particularly effective. Like if you're just, you know, really anal, like actually maybe don't fix that because you can do everybody's taxes and we'll all benefit from it. Like, is there some, I, I honestly wrestle with these sorts of questions as of like, I, I wish I could be more. I'd love to hear what Barry has to say, but I think our gifting and our woundedness are so intertwined that I, I look now with 40 years of life behind me and it is clear that part of my calling is this entrepreneurial business thing that I do. Mm-hmm. But also a big part of my woundedness played into that, right? So because of my woundedness, I then went, instead of going to God for identity, I went to my gifting for identity. And the gifting came from God, but if I lean on that rather than leaning on God, then all of a sudden there I am like Bart, where I had this thing of, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. That drove all other decisions. I remember my parents calling and offering Amy and I a chance to go to Mozambique on this missions thing. They were going to pay for everything. It was going to be like six weeks in Mozambique, in the bush, like this amazing life experience. Like I'd give anything to give that to my kids now or to have had that experience myself. And I was in the middle of some big business deals. And I was like, nope, nope, that's that's going to stop those from happening. Uh, Nope, thank you, but no. And so like the driving compass of my life for, from 15 to 30 was what gets me closer to being a millionaire. Bart, I would ask the same question of, because I resonate with Sam and John was just explaining of gifting, wounding, like some combination. There is a thing in your 20s that just says build, like get get a valuable skill, learn how to work that skill, get as much as you possibly can. Does that ring true in your story at all? Well, yeah, I think we all share that combination of our brokenness and of our giftedness. You know, I'm I'm reminded in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, it said that the master entrusted his possessions to them. So number one, we're entrusted with something from God to manage, to, to, to be a part of, and to have jurisdiction and, and dominance over. Uh, and, and it also says in Parable of the Talents, because one was given one talent, one was given five, and one was given ten, 
And it said, according to their own abilities. And that really speaks to our giftedness part, which really does come into play. And and yeah, for me, it took me a long time to find what my ability was. And, and I think my whole, my giftedness was really centered around building, to, to build something. And and today that's still that's still true, but it's my thing today is is building more kingdom. It's not two befores and and two by sixes and 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 uh, shingles and and concrete and and those kinds of things. But it's it's more of kingdom building. But it's still in that giftedness of building. So as John was talking about, um, I I had the exact same goal in mind. I said I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm thirty. And and that drove me until till I was age twenty eight when I when I came to Christ and then then something shifted in me in that and and that's that's when the focus went off of money and and it went on to how do I how do I free my time up because time is it's the most valuable commodity that we have but money can certainly be a measure in order to free your time. I'm struck by both this kind of thread that's popped up in your story, JD, and in yours, Bart, of like this natural talent, this gifting, this this ability that God is probably shepherding and strengthening and that, that ways that you're wounding um, can also intersect. Bart, you know, you're being a builder at a young age and now, you know, being a builder for the kingdom. Um, I think that's an area that something in my heart goes like, oh, yes, like, there's some relief to perhaps what I'm doing or what I'm drawn to actually is going to have some like long-term payout on a personal level. But at the same time, if that's the potential, there's also sort of like this, this fog of like, I could do that in the wrong area. Uh, if I, if it's about making money, it's, if it's about a hustle, if it's about, you know, like I, I could learn web developing and, and try to do this thing and take myself down the wrong path. I don't know the question is in here so much as like, I hear these threads of there's gifting woven into the ways that you approach work and approach kingdom building and that can play out later in your life. And if that's the case, then there's the potential to miss that, right? What I wonder if the question is, because I know the question I, that drove my 20s was, what is it that, I'm at, that I am supposed to be doing? Totally. Right? Like, as if there were that one job or that one position or that one company I could start, that if I got that, then I would be able to live out who I was supposed to be. And I spent a lot of time chasing what I thought those things were, what I thought those opportunities were. And I think it was probably in my early 30s that I heard someone say that, there is no one right position or role that is going to allow you to fulfill who God created you to be. But instead, if you will become the person that God created you to be, the right doors will open. And that was incredibly freeing for me. Because I remember at, like, at, that, at that time when I heard that, I actually thought if I could get a job here at Ransomed Heart, like that would be it. And I applied for a position here at Ransom Heart 10 years ago, pre-Seth Godin, pre-founding the consulting company that I did, pre-founding the Daily Deal site that I co-founded. And 
it was it was five years later that your dad and Morgan and Brad came to me and said, hey, would you consider coming in and joining the team? And it was because of what God had done in those five years that I was ready for what he wants me to do here. And I think that that shift from who am I supposed to be? Like our job is the excavation with God into becoming who we are supposed to be with him. And then it's amazing the, the doors that will open for that type of person. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And hate it, right? And I, and just, I hate, and I hate it because it it's like, yeah. yeah, that sounds nice. And how do I pay my bills? Delivering pizza, picking up rocks. <laughs> you know, it depends. On I mean, I, I love that because I want like that feels true. That feels that feels like the right direction to be to be reframing that becoming like the a person, not necessarily going after a position, right? That's a it's a terrible way of rephrasing that, but it's essentially. I'd love to ask it about a point in the story before realizing, as you've described, Bart, getting this new kingdom vision of how you wanted to preserve your time and use it redemptively. And as you've just said, JD, of you've wanted to become a kind of person and then things will happen. When did you have your first major success? And what do you wish you could tell yourself at that age about it, the piece of advice you could give to help you navigate that experience. We started a home building company and this was when interest rates were, you know, uh, 17.5% were mortgage rates and interest rates at the bank were 22%. And and we started a home building company in in that in that era. And I, you know, I just look back on that and it was all all shifted off a of dependence on myself and, and and began to follow God. And I think God really gave me an appetite and an ability to risk that I'd never had before because I'd have been scared to death to do that. But I really felt, and my partner was the same way, is we really began to take risks that I would have never taken before because I just, as, as JD says, I I, I think God was making us into men that we were different kinds of men with different goals. And my success in my life was not measured by money. It was measured by how I live my life. And man, guys, I mean, we we went through some devastating years of losing millions and millions of dollars when guys were throwing the keys back to the bank and saying, I, this is your problem. It's not mine. And they were just running from all their obligations. And there was one time we, we worked for seven years without a paycheck and we paid every contractor off. We never let a loan go into default. We lost, lost pretty much everything we had, but we did that to keep our name and our reputation. And at, at the end of the day, I, I felt like I could walk down the street and there was not anybody I, I couldn't look in the eye and say, you know, I I lived with integrity and it to live with integrity meant I had to let go of the money because it it just it all went away. Bart, what was the paradigm shift that happened with the risk when you like pre-conversion, post-conversion? Because there's a lot of risks that you had been taking, but I think just judging from the way you're talking about it, like there was there was some paradigm shift, some way that you operated in risk that was different when you had 
a relationship with Jesus? I think the the intentionality of risk, it was just so much of it was, I mean, you've heard a lot of my crazy stories about just stupid things I did. Just That is uh, true. You have done some crazy, stupid things. <laughs> with, with my body, with, you know, getting in fights, you know, just all kinds of things like that. Just it, just living a godless life. And, and then when I had that conversion and I, I found my partner, I mean, we, we were walking pretty much lockstep together. And we were we were on our knees asking God, "Hey, should we do this? I mean, we're we're going out and buying pieces of property, you know, that cost you know two million dollars, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And and God showed us how to do that. And there there was no way that we could have done that aside from God. I mean, He just He took us through so many securitous routes, but it required that we did have to take risk. And, and I'll, I'll have to say, when I was that age, there's there's the ability to take a lot more risk. I mean, that's that's why young soldiers are are young. I mean, you don't you don't see guys on the battlefield at 60 years old. They're they're not going to take the risk that those young guys are taking because young guys are made to take risks. There's something about being young that that gives you more capacity to risk. But there's there's good risk and there's bad risk. And we've talked about we've had conversations of that at boot camp and and so forth. It's walking with God, but I think it goes back to the parable of the talents. You know, he, they gave them according to their own abilities, and part of that ability was to risk. That here's a talent, you go and invest that, and that requires risk. That one of the biggest parts of that is they had to trust the heart of the Father. And that's what I'm saying, Sam. I think we had to trust the heart of God to lead us into that risk. And we we took some big, big risk. I mean, we were we were leveraging at the rate of like 17 to 1 with some pretty big debt in, in our business. Now, in our personal lives, we were debt-free. And that's what gave us the ability to survive seven years of not being able to have a paycheck. We lived debt-free in our personal lives, but but we did some pretty big risk at a young age on on our debt to equity ratios in our business. And, you know, I look back and I go, wow, I can't believe I did that. And there was there was some payout. There were some times when we scored and there were some times when it bit you and, and it would bite you pretty hard. Man, that's amazing. I just love what you said about it's actually trusting the father that allows you to risk uh, because when he asks you to do a thing, you're actually able to step into it. Although one of these days you are going to have to tell us how you didn't eat for seven years, but we can circle back to uh, your starvation rations. Well, I can, I can tell you in two words, it's, it's called tax losses. You, you can uh, average off tax losses and you can actually get income over time when your losses are so huge. The government actually will refund you if you average those losses over, you can get an income stream off of that. <laughs> That's insane. Oh my God. I, I'm sure. So you're saying the key is you have to lose enough money. I saw that somewhere in the primaries about, uh, this is all sounding vaguely familiar. But, uh. <laughs> so John, same question, which it can be the turning point or it can be a first major success and like what you wish you had known or what you would tell yourself at that age to help you handle it? When I was in my early 20s, I started an advertising company. Uh, we sold advertising in restaurants. And 
it went from just me to me and like a dozen guys who worked for me over the course of about a year. And I was um, 22 years old, probably, and uh, making a, you know, for me at that point, most of my friends was, you know, just getting out of college and um, I was making a, a nice six figure income. And, um, and like Bart described, I had some time flexibility because I'd figured out that it was, you know, I could make money by having other people do work. I wish I had told myself at that point, this may not last because every decision I made was based on the assumption of it only gets better from here because I was headed to that million dollar, you know, being a millionaire thing. A couple of years into that, I had my first really big failure. And because I had always, as much money as I made, like the more money I made, the more lifestyle I had. And there I was like joining the country club. And then I bought Alexis for me. And then I bought Alexis for Amy and all these things. Like as my income increased, my lifestyle just kept increasing. And I wish I could go back and say to John at 20, John, figure out how to live on a certain amount and be content with that. And then take the excess and do the kind of things Bart did, like go take risks with that excess and make investments. But I just maxed out lifestyle. Because I wanted to appear successful to those around me, I just kept upping that game. No, no level of outward success was, was enough for me. And so then a couple of years into that, I had a situation where um, we had an office in another state. Someone in that office did something illegal. And uh, our business was cut in half overnight and we had to refund a bunch of customers money. You know, if you remember the story, like as money comes in, I'm figuring out ways to spend it. And so all of a sudden found myself in a situation where my income had cut drastically and I owed a bunch of people money. In my early 20s, I didn't know how to handle that. And I went into a season um, of being severely, what I would now know is like severely clinically depressed didn't want to get up in the morning. Uh, when I did get up, I would sit there and literally like cry over my cereal. I'm shaking my head. Like, yeah, it's cause, cause I just didn't, I didn't know how to handle it. Like I was, I was a king way too young. And because of my woundedness, I didn't let anyone else in my world know what was going on. So if you would have seen me at church on Sunday morning in my Lexus that I now couldn't afford, I would have been, you know, asked and asked me how I was doing. I would have told you it was, I was doing great. Told my parents the same things uh, that I was doing great because I was, it was that outward appearance was so important to me. Um, and to snap out of that season, I mean, what it actually took was my wife, Amy, called my parents who I'm close to and they're really good people and told them, hey, John is not doing well. I don't know what he's telling you, but like, here's what's happening. And I remember driving down the road in my stupid Lexus and my phone rang and it was my dad. And he said, you know, he said, John, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm doing great. And he said, no, how are you really doing? And I knew at that point that he knew. And I remember, I can picture it now, where I pulled off to the side of the road just in tears and told him what was going on. And, and that was the beginning of, of like a rescue. So yeah, like bitter failure as well as, as well as success. So clearly you haven't seen my used CRV, which really tells you just how well I'm doing. 
But I'll shelve that lesson for later, John. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd just stuck with the Honda Accord. It was a lot cheaper to maintain, better gas mileage. Bart, you really did touch on this already, but it sounds like by the time you had your first major failure or your first major setback, your heart was already in the place where you could handle it. Is that true? Number one, I was fatherless. I mean, my father had been dead for some time, so I I really didn't have a dad other than when when I came to God, then I didn't know nearly the categories that I know here at Ransom Heart, but some things began to shift. Further into my story, when, when my partner and I were, we were doing pretty well, but um, in, in the building business, and especially in construction, because it's very, I mean, it's just fraught with risk. There are, there are huge swings and cycles, and you can find yourself just in, in a matter of weeks with, with a, a total economy that shifts on you and the buying psychology of of making your your life's greatest investment of a home uh, can totally change do a 180 degree shift and you can find yourself with a lot millions of dollars worth of inventory that nobody wants to buy so i mean it, it can just move very quickly but to answer that question is we had been in our company for a few years and we had experienced some really really good times and as we went down in our first big cycle, we were still very young guys. We were guys in our mid-30s. And uh, all of a sudden, all of this success and everything went away. It's a pretty glamorous business. And my partner and I, we were featured in the LA Times. I mean, the, the real estate section of Southern California newspaper chased us. And and I was president of the Home Builders Association. I mean, it was a pretty glamorous thing. And so pretty high profile but I think I think really what helped us to manage that was when my partner and I started, we really did strive, I think, in a good way to, to become debt-free, to, to not live out of our means. I mean, we were both living in very small houses, and it was a long time before we – I mean, we'd, we'd done very well for a number of years before we ever moved out of our small houses and before I sold my Oldsmobile and began to drive a car that, you know, a BMW or what, whatever these guys drive out here all of that time. But our lifestyle moved very, very slowly. And we defined the lifestyle early on that allowed us to weather those storms and to, and to be able to take those risks. I think, I think looking back, that that was probably one of the the wisest things that we had done. And, and I, I have to give my partner a lot of credit. I think we held each other's feet to the fire and we kind of looked at each other and were, well, I was always thinking about when I, you know, go buy a new pair of shoes. I say, well, well what will my partner do? And, and he was thinking the same thing. And so we, we kind of, it, in a very kind of a legalistic, but good way, we held each other really accountable not to get our lifestyles out of, out of sorts. And so when the bad times came through our faith and, and through the ability that we, we could hunker down and, and we could survive a storm really did help us in the long run. I so wish I had had that type of peer pressure rather than the, the sort of imagined pressure to appear more successful than I actually was. That's, that's so valuable. I've loved what you've had to say for the guys who share similar dispositions. Um, I've got a lot of friends that come to mind who 
who had the same kind of momentum, regardless of family situation, to like get rich or appear wealthy as fast as you possibly can outside of college or even high school. And then there's the kind of guys that I also come to mind who are less driven, less entrepreneurial, but equally as affected by the world of their choices, by the world of money, by the world of kind of what they pursue and the risks they take. And though that's not necessarily either of your personality types, and and the world is very different from even 20 years ago, um, 50 years ago, like for a guy now who may not be driving a Lexus at 20, but who may be wondering if he's heading in the right direction, what advice would you have for that guy? I think t- today, as I look as as a guy the age that I am in my 60s, and I look around the world and I say, gosh, if I was a young man today, what would I do? It's certainly a, a much different world. But knowing what I know, I really have to go back and say, what is it that worked for me? And uh, the things that worked for me was when I began to walk with God in my giftedness and in uh, my desire. And so I I know that sounds kind of um, uh, very general, but I think to to begin to, to swing into a direction of life that would say, okay, over the horizon, there's something because when, when I started this and when I, when I began to engage some of these principles after coming to Christ in, in my business and so forth, I had no idea over the horizon. I, I knew at some point I said, I really want to do something significant for the kingdom. And, and I was saying that in my early 30s, but I had no idea what that was, no idea at all. But I think it all started, and I'm focusing this because I could never could have articulated it at that point, of which you're asking me to speak to a young man who who can't find the words to say right now. So I'm trying to try to put it in that context of saying to begin to walk with God and begin to chase your desires. And I think if you do that and you're true to your heart, he will put you in opportunities you still have to make the decision to risk or not to risk. But I think, I think that again, that that's, that's how we walk with God. But if you are true to those disciplines, I think God takes you where he's going to take you. So, so Bart, what does that look like? Let, let's pretend, for example, that Sam doesn't work with us here at Ransom Heart and Ansons. And he's a young man how do you counsel him as he's looking at providing for his family, for a new young kid? If he's in some job that he doesn't love, how does he begin to pursue giftedness and desire? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was in a lot of jobs for a lot of years that I didn't like at all. One of the things that served me well was no matter what I did, I wanted to be a good credit to the effort that I was putting in and put in an honest day's labor and make a good account for myself. I think when you do that, doors begin to open for you. I have a lot of stories when I was a broken young guy and I used to work really, really hard and I got opportunities because of that. But I'm, I'm saying, given a, a young man's walking with God, if you start interacting relationally good with people and and you work hard, I think 
doors begin to open for you. God honors that. And I saw that happen for me, especially after I came to Christ. So I would stay in that job that you don't like. I, I just wouldn't jump out of a job and, and, and be irresponsible and say, well, I'm going to wait till something else better comes along. No, I think I think you're on a journey with God to find your true heart. And you have a responsibility to labor, to work. And again, part of the curse is we have to eke out a, a living in this world. That's part of the curse that we have. So we can't get around that. But you can have an attitude in it to say, I want to work hard and I want to see what God has for me in this. Or we can become entitled to say, the world owes me something here. And boy, I, I just, I've lived in that one enough to know that doesn't work at all. That's yeah. Good. Sorry, John, to cut you off, but same question. What would you say? I've heard it said that you can learn a lot from serving under a good king or a bad king. And I think the same is true for work. Like you can learn a lot by being in a good work situation or by being in a bad situation. I think if I were talking to a young man, I would encourage them to make decisions based on the options it would open up more than maybe the specific reward of that next assignment. As an example, I think especially in our 20s, there's this sense of urgency that we've got to start making a lot of money quickly. And that is a false sense of urgency. Yes. Very when, much when, so. you, when you start looking at people um, who have been financially successful, if that's going to be a measure of success that we use, um, most of them become financially successful later in life. And we're in this strange generation, you know, me on the beginning of it and you guys at the other end of it. At yeah, the very, very beginning. Yeah. Like, What's like the prologue. My, like, the, like the founders of Google and, you know, Zuckerberg and at Facebook and those guys, like they're my age or a little bit younger. And there's this idea of people become incredibly successful in their 30s. And that frankly just isn't true. There are edge cases and we see their faces on the covers of magazines, but in general, most people like achieve financial success later in life. And so my encouragement, I think, to younger men and to women would be what you are doing in your 20s is much more about figuring out your giftedness, figuring out your desire, doing things that give you experience, give, doing things that give you options. And then, you know, to use sort of a video game term, you level up over time, right? And so the uh, the type I'm of- I'm so into using video game terms. It's very helpful for <laughs> the, me. The, the type of options that Bart has now because of a lifetime of that, like, like leveling up financially, like they far exceed the options that I have. And the options that I have exceed the options that you guys have. And so there's something about time. You guys are out on time. And most of the people listening to this podcast, like you feel like you're behind, but actually like you are right on time and where you need to go with God is, okay, Lord, what, what do you have next? What, what are you doing in me? What do you want to go after in me? Because chances are it's, it's much more about the person you are becoming than about the size of your paycheck. Blaine, what happened to your soul when John said you are right? Like, it's okay. You're 
You're on time. It's okay. Oh, I just, I stopped believing him about five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Because, okay, I was tracking, I was tracking, and as soon as you said, like, it's okay, and you're right where you need to be, there's something that, that, like, I feel that war again. There's that that part that goes, oh, for that to be true, and then, like, uh, like, for this not, I'm not behind in so many different areas, and then the war, you know, comes back in and says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You should get those side hustles going. So I wonder, I wonder what it would be like for me to like actually sit in a little bit of that and to sit in like what you've said, Bart, and what you said, John, of like, there's a mission, there's a calling, there's an attunement to our own stories that is actually much healthier than being attuned to the income of cash. Man, you guys, thank you so much. So many awesome pieces in there. Really grateful to be able to sit down with you. Thanks for coming on the show. I look forward to the next opportunity to have to have a cigar with you guys. Likewise. Yeah, thanks, Bart. Thanks, J.D. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You need to be sure to subscribe now and follow us on social media under Ann Sons Magazine. And of course, for articles and films, check out annsonsmagazine.com.